<laughs> okay, so I want to make a point about books. Is that okay That's with good. you, Bill? Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, first of all, I brought my Bible. This Bible generally does not leave the house because it is so personal. It's a big, is that a big enough Bible That's for you, Bill? That's a big one. Uh, okay. Um, this one doesn't leave the house because it's so personalized. It's wrapped in plastic, but I brought it just for you because I want to make a very big point this morning. I know it's about the Holy Spirit, the theme of the conference. I want to talk about the Word of God and the Spirit, so yeah. I brought my Bible along. Now, uh, I want to tell you this, that uh, after I was filled with the Holy Spirit in my early 20s, I fell in love with the book of Acts. If you can fall in love with a book, better a woman, but not a, 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 a book. Okay? Um, I fell in love with the book of Acts, and from my early 20s onwards, I just turned 70 in the early part of January, uh, I have been a devout reader, studier, learner, teacher, and traveler of the book of Acts. So I, because I felt that the book of Acts, of all the books in the Holy Scriptures, tells you the most about the activity of the Holy Spirit. So I really got into the book of Acts. I like traveling. I love history. And uh, so the book of Acts got into me, and it's never gotten out of me. So what I've just brought for you is a testimony to my long-standing love affair with the book of Acts. Come on. Fair enough? Okay. Yeah. Good. Uh, I think in the English language, this is the most prodigious piece of scholarship done by Professor Craig Keener, who's on the faculty of Asbury Theological Seminary down in Wilmore, Kentucky. Uh, this four-volume commentary on the book of Acts, most of this fourth volume is bibliography, all the sources that are used in the first three volumes. Uh, I'll tell you why. The, this four-volume commentary in the book of Acts tells you everything you ever and never wanted to know about the book of Acts. So recently, my wife and I, we read and pray the scriptures every morning. We read and prayed our way through the book of Acts, so we decided to keep the commentary alongside of it. Uh, our reading and praying, so that whenever we run across texts that we don't quite understand, or there's more to it that we want to understand, then we go to Craig Keener. Uh, Craig, I've never met him personally, but someday that's going to happen. Uh, one of the reasons I like his scholarship, it's quite unique. I mean, it's quite prodigious. You agree? That's quite impressive, even if you never crack a cover. <laughs> you have now seen, I think, in the English language, the most impressive uh, commentary on the book of Acts, which lines up with my passion for the book quite nicely, right? Okay. These are like the best men at my love affair with the book of Acts. <laughs> kind of like a wedding in literature. Fair enough? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Craig gives attention to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his scholarship, the like of which is very hard to find. You know, I've spent my whole life in the world of scholarship and teaching and academics and, and classrooms and books. And, you know, there's a lot of good scholarship that's out there, but, you know, it doesn't quite go far enough. And if you're going to do a commentary in the book of Acts and you're going to be kind of silent on the Holy Spirit, it's a bit flat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Acts of whom? Acts of the Holy Spirit. Yes, yes. Okay. I think I'm done now, Bill, to let you get your first question. <laughs> so uh, th that's the, that's the warm-up. I love doing public conversations. You got a day? Mm-hmm gave me 40 minutes, but what am I going to take? <laughs> and for those of you who are online, I hope your screens don't heat up and melt. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. That's Charles, talk a little bit. I, I know a little bit of your history. I know a little bit of your work, and I know a little bit of 
the vast amount of people that you've connected with over the years in the various streams of the church and all of that, you're not what would be known as a classic Pentecostal. Tell us, how, how did you come into connection with the Holy Spirit? You know, one of the worst things that ever happened to Pentecostals is when they started calling them classic. <laughs> <You know? laughs> There's nothing too classic about <laughs> classic Pentecostalism. I mean, better to talk about um, Pentecostals in the upper room. Right. But, you know, scholars started creating this stream called classic Pentecostalism. Right. Anyhow, that's a point for free. <laughs> uh, how did I come into Pentecost? Uh, that's good Pentecostal language, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. How sure. did I come into Pentecost? All right. Um, well... How many of you had an experience in life when the worst possible thing happened to you with the best possible outcome? Yeah. If you had the strength to survive. Yeah. Can I see your hand? Okay. Yeah. Here's the worst thing, one of the worst things that could ever have happened to my family uh, in the 1960s that ended up with the best possible outcome. But it's not as though we saw where that outcome was going to, how it was going to happen. So I was raised in a, in a very old uh, German Methodist denomination that had its roots in the fires of revival and spiritual awakening in the state of Pennsylvania in the late 18th century. And uh, that movement made its way up into eastern Canada and eventually made its way out to western Canada. Um, actually, a lot of people don't know it, including many of the people that attend this church, but if you know um, Sanders Street Church in Calgary, you know, right. one of the largest evangelical churches in, this, in the country, it actually is tied into this German Methodist movement in which both my wife and I were raised. Okay, uh, so in the 1960s, a very traumatic event happened. Uh, I won't call it the Freedom Convoy because we won't talk about that on Sunday, but <laughs> there were some people that thought it was the Freedom Convoy. It, it merged, it ended up being absorbed by the United Church of Canada. That was a very traumatic experience for many reasons. Anyhow, the upshot of that was that my family, my father was a loyal son of the church for four generations of German Methodism. Uh, I didn't know the outside of a church when I was raised. Many people don't know the inside of one. I never knew the outside of one. Um, as a result of the trauma of that experience, we were, my father relocated us into a smaller evangelical church that was seen as being more faithful to the Holy Scriptures. That's the way I'm going to put it, though it's a long conversation. And, um, okay, so Charles is in his teen years. I'm 15 and 16, and, you know, teens always want to do what their parents are telling them to do, right? Isn't that the mark of being a teenager, right? Not Charles. Charles is in a heart of rebellion against the church. As soon as he can make his own way in life, make his own choices decide his own friends, he's on the way out. But if you looked at me, I wasn't a conspicuous sinner. Uh, because I learned this poem when I was young, I don't drink, I don't dance, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do. In those days, the women did all the sinning. <laughs> the men just collaborated. <laughs> okay, you get, you get the picture though? This is 1960s. Okay, so I end up in this smaller evangelical church, the denomination still lives on. And then what happens? The first path, the, the pastor, who became a surrogate father to me, he ends up getting filled with the Holy Spirit and does that mess things up. <laughs> All of these good church-going German Methodists who have made a very good choice to remain true to the faith, but then it goes into overdrive. Well, overdrive is just what Charles needs so that he can stay on the road. Hmm? Mm -hmm. So... 
I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'm in Bible college too in Toronto, small town Toronto. Um, wow, what a pressure cooker. Professors who believe in the Holy Spirit, but not that much. And uh, I'm trying to just work this all through. Where does this really come out? What does the Bible say about it? What do the people I respect in my life say about it? It's a pressure cooker. But I make my way through by the grace of God. And I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And under the mentoring of this pastor, this young pastor, I think he was in his 30s, like what you were once, right, Bill? Right, long time ago. Uh, yeah. yeah. You've been in ministry here as, as old as he was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was around 37 or so. Okay, yeah. Um, and I start to grow in the Holy Spirit. My life has changed. And I learn about the Holy Spirit long by, before I ever read a book on the Holy Spirit or ever went to school. Uh, I started to grow in the Spirit-filled life. So that was a paradigm shift for me. And uh, that happens in the early 70s when I'm uh, about 20, between 20 and 21 years of age. So that was a paradigm shift for me. And after that, that started the journey. And um, I guess that kind of made me a Pentecostal, though when I, used to pe when I used to speak in Pentecostal churches, meetings, I used to start with a paraphrase from the prophet Amos. I'm not a Pentecostal nor the son of a Pentecostal. <laughs> okay, so for anybody out there, who thought, oh, well, Charles, he's just become a Pentecostal. No, I never, I couldn't, I never was a Pentecostal. I'm not a Pentecostal now. I, I'm talking about my church affiliation, but I've had Pentecostal friends. I'm very comfortable in Pentecostal churches, uh, you know, because I'm no stranger to the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. And then I got in my academic years, I got into the Society for Pentecostal Studies. That's where the Pentecostal academics started to hang out. They created that society in the 70s, and I got involved in that. So I started to meet all these Pentecostal scholars who were from Pentecostal backgrounds. So, anyhow. So what, what difference did that encounter with Holy Spirit make in your life? Where, For me? Yes. Oh, I'll tell you um, what happened the week after I was filled with the Holy Spirit. So on one Sunday night, like we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and I'm talking very practically, and at some point we're, gonna, we're going to um, answer this question, uh, how, do we hear the, how do we hear the Word of God? How does the Word of God come to us, right? We'll get to that, mm -hmm, right? Because right, Word yeah. and Spirit go together. Right. So on a Sunday night, uh, not too many people at the Sunday service in my hometown, which is Pembroke, Ontario, tired old lumber town on the border of uh, Ontario and Quebec, less than 100 miles from the... Uh, the nation's capital. So after the service is over, it's a Sunday night in June, and uh, almost everybody is gone, and uh, there's a, there are two men left in the sanctuary. One is my pastor, whom I trusted, and he had been a surrogate father to me, and the other is a, um, an evangelist from the Jesus people who came up from Ottawa. Still remember him. I don't know if he's alive or if he's listening online, but Jim Finnegan from the Jesus people. Mm -hmm. So I asked them, to, um, to pray for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit because for two years I had been studying this through, you know, where is the truth about the Holy Spirit? And there's a lot of people that are still asking questions about the Holy Spirit. You know what? I'm not opposed to asking questions. As a teacher, I have built my whole vocation on asking questions, asking the right kind of questions, asking the best questions. But you know what I'm a little opposed to? Is the relentless asking of questions to which you cannot get an answer. Mm. Follow me on that? Mm -hmm. But you know, to get the best answers, you've got to get to the best questions first. So I'm wrestling through this whole matter of the Holy Spirit. I finally come to the place, and I'm a thoroughgoing rationalist. I have a very uh, active mind at this point. If it doesn't think right to me, it doesn't feel right, and then I don't do it. 
That's the way my temperament works. So finally I get to the place which is a large step for me to have two men lay hands on me and be prayed for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So after this goes on for a while, I get up off my knees and I turn to them and I say, well, has anything happened yet? Well, when you're asking that question, it likely hasn't happened, right? <laughs> because I've been reading the Acts. And when the Spirit comes upon people, there's lots happening. Nothing mm -hmm. happening to Charles. And then a prophetic word is spoken to me that night. I wouldn't have known enough at that point to call it a prophecy, but it was. My, my pastor, my surrogate father, who had been spirit-filled, he said, Charles, the waters are flowing very deeply in you tonight. Mm -hmm. I'm now 70. That happened when I was 21. Mm -hmm. The next morning, I'm at home with my parents, home from college. I'm in the bathtub, and I start speaking in tongues. <laughs> There's no text in the Bible that says you should start speaking in tongues in the bathtub. Believe me. <laughs> but, you know, uh, it, it took me a while to move through my rationality because I'm a very strongly rational person because God gave me a mind. And that became the basis of my vocation, too. But it was mind without spirit. Now it's mind entering into spirit. So, uh, and, and that's different, you know. Like, we all have temperaments, and the Holy Spirit comes upon us and works in a way that, it, that enhances our temperament and then takes us into new realms that are purely charismatic. By that, I mean they're grace-given. They have nothing to do with who we are. They just are given to us as grace gifts. So, uh, and then I, then I start, here's, here's something. Then I start to be aware there's an inner voice in me. And... Uh, and then something else happens to me in the Bible. And I'd been studying the Bible because I was a Bible college student and my level of biblical literacy was going up. Uh, the fourth chapter of Luke, I didn't discover this in the Bible. I mean, it was always in the Bible. It's something has happened to me to make me aware of the fact that at the time of his baptism, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, people, here's a big issue in the church, and this is where churches go... Are you interested in what I'm talking about? <laughs> okay. When this is over, you can pay tuition at the back door and just direct it as an offering. You'll get a receipt for it. Uh, so here's the big thing, and churches go different ways on this. An Orthodox Christian, in my judgment, believes that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. Would mm -hmm. you agree? Right. However, that's the first mystery of Christianity, the biggest mystery. God the word become flesh and dwelt among us. How did that ever happen? Well, that's a miracle. But here's the second one. What's the role of the Holy Spirit in the incarnate Son of God? That's where a lot of churches kind of just drop off the edge or say the wrong thing. I came to the conclusion, and I still have my old Bible college uh, Bible at home all lined. Something happened with Jesus at the Jordan River, and if you want to travel, oh, this little commercial, if you ever want to come to me again to the unholy holy land, and we go down to the Jordan River and we talk about this right on the site. What really happened? when the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God came down on the incarnate Son of God. Well, I struggled with this. How can you say more about the Holy Spirit in Jesus without saying less? Like, we're not going to say the incarnate Son of God was devoid of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to say that. So then, I'm wrestling with what verb am I going to use to explain it to myself, not to mention all the, uh, all the people that I will talk to about this. Well, this is the word I got. Intensify. As a result of the spirit baptism that Jesus experienced at the Jordan River, the presence of the Holy Spirit was intensified in his life. 
And the rest of the Gospel of Luke bears that out because all kinds of things start to happen in the life and ministry of Jesus as a result of the intensification of the divine presence in his life. Wow. I took that back to my professors. They didn't know what I was talking about. And they were good, godly people that studied the scriptures and theology, etc., etc. And I started to, to, to develop a theology of the spirit-filled Jesus. So I would say to people who are orthodox, claim to be following Jesus, I think the whole discussion about the Holy Spirit starts with a discussion about Christ. What kind of Christ do you believe in? And I believe in the double mysteries with respect to Christ. I believe Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, God in the flesh, is also, you got this, you're ready? Mm -hmm. You can hardly wait. <laughs> He's also the spirit-filled God-man. Okay, good. That's the second mystery. Mm -hmm. So when I'm following Jesus, of course I'm not God in the flesh. And when I am, my wife corrects me. <laughs> Thank you, Gwen. <laughs> Incidentally, we've been married almost a half a century. I can tease her in public. <laughs> She'll get me later. So um, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Spirit-filled God-man. Come on. I can follow the Spirit-filled Christ. I can't, I can't be God in the flesh. Do you know what I mean? There's a part of Jesus that I'm not in the same league. But the Spirit-filled Jesus. Okay, here's a little interesting conversation that went on between me and my theology prof. Um, <clears throat> I was quite robust in the classroom. Not as subtle and tame and docile as I am here with you this morning. <laughs> and I remember one day in a theology class, the prof makes the point. He's on, he's on a lecture about the attributes of the divine character, and we're on the subject of omniscience, you know, which essentially means God knows everything, right? And he, he uses as a proof text for that uh, the story of Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And he says, this is an example of Jesus knowing everything. Like he knew she had five husbands and had a relationship now that wasn't a husband. You know that story, John 4? Mm -hmm. Okay. And I put my hand up and I say, Mr. So-and-so, I don't think that's right. Uh, you correct your prof in public, you better be right. Somebody's going down. <laughs> and I was determined most of the time it wasn't going to be me. Right. So, well, what's your explanation? Jesus has this knowledge, and uh, he knows all about her relational history. So what's your explanation? I said, my explanation is, that's a, that's a word of knowledge coming from the Spirit-filled God-man. Mm. What's his response? Nothing. Did Jesus know everything? Well, that's a very debatable question, because... Uh, Philippians 2 said that he was emptied. He didn't relinquish divinity. But were those divine attributes suspended? Ah, this is a big, it's called the kenosis passage, the, the emptying of Christ. So what's the relationship between the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the emptying? Well, that's a theological discussion that's going to take you centuries to resolve. We're not getting that one resolved in 40 minutes, Bill. <laughs> but it's there. It's there in the pages of the, the New Testament. Do you get my point? Yes. My, my yes. point is, and my question is, what kind of Jesus do you follow? So I find all the gifts of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, all the graces of the Holy Spirit in Jesus... He is the perfect incarnate Son of God. I like to call Jesus when I'm talking about him with affection. And if he were standing right here in physical form before me, I'd say, 
Jesus, for me, you are the, the prayer-soaked, spirit-filled God-man. Mm. The prayer-soaked, spirit-filled God-man. Very good. That's, that's good. So it's Christology and pneumatology. If you like long words, well, they say me short words, and as I'm getting older, I need to use longer words. <laughs> um, yeah, Christology and pneumatology are related. We yes. start with the Spirit-filled Christ, who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the early church was filled with the Holy Spirit, too. Then we talk about what, spirit, what's, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's your next question, Bill? Or your next comment? You know, just, uh, well, there's so many places we I could know. go. Um, your Holy Spirit's led you into some really interesting places. Yeah. Introduced you to some really interesting people. Yeah. Never planted you in really easy places. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. It's been a bit of a rough ride for me, personally. Maybe because more often than not, I was always swimming against the current. Right. <laughs> my dad, the day after he died, I found an old scrap. My dad's been dead almost 40 years, but the day after he died, I found an old scrapbook of his in a closet in, in uh, his bedroom. Um, and there was a little uh, card in there. It says, any dead old fish can swim with the stream, but it takes a real live one to swim against the stream. That's Charles, his son. Uh, <laughs> actually, I, I'm just thinking out loud. That's a very dangerous thing to think out loud, but it's more dangerous not to think at all. So. <laughs> uh, you know, I have a very robust soul, and uh, I'm 70 years of age, so some people say I'm a young version of 70, or an old version of 50, whichever way you want it. But, uh, one of the reasons why my soul is very robust is because I have been through a lot. Right. Um, I have tears of joy. I have tears of sadness. There's still a few tears of madness in there mixed in with the gladness and the sadness. But um, I really have been forced to work through the truth. And to the degree that you work through the truth in life, you become a free person. Because Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Yeah. I have a lot of freedom in my life. It's, I'm free by temperament, but I have a lot of God-given freedom because it's been a, not a very tranquil road right. for me. But um, now when I look back, you know, life, it's lived forwards, but it's learned backwards. So one of the, the lovely things about growing old is that you can see things you never saw before. And you can see the meaning where before you only saw the mystery. Right. Now, uh, what, what, what do you want to know? You asked me about roughness, <laughs> toughness, and... Uh, just, just some of the places that God has led you, the Holy Spirit has led you so that he could refine you, he could, you know... Yeah, yeah, well... Um, I'd like to tell you something as recently as this morning okay. about the Holy Spirit. Would you like to know that? Yeah. This one's fresh. That's why I brought my Bible. Okay? <laughs> because uh, let, I want, I'm not displacing you no, or ignoring you, Bill. I we'll just don't know which crisis to choose. Yes. 
Yes. Uh, so let me just hand you the, uh, yep. the microphone here, and I'm going to take my Bible out of its plastic case here. <laughs> okay, so the time, it's about 8.30 in the morning, and we're prepared to leave at 9 to find our way here. And um, so this is my, big, my biggest Bible. I have a small traveling Bible, but I brought the big one because uh, this is the one I use every day. It's Alexio Divina. Uh, edition Bible, which means the holy reading of scripture. Uh, this is the one I read out of. Um, one, of the, one of the reasons uh, I use it every day is because um, you should read the Bible every day, maybe twice a day, really get into it. And um, there are lots of comments and dates, like if you were to see this, and I'm not showing you because the stuff is so personal in there, and uh, See all that black printing? That's not the Word of God. That's the Word of Charles beside the Word of God. Okay? You see all of that? Good. Well, this morning, as I'm walking around uh, the dining room table, this morning as I'm walking around the dining room table, just a little nudge inside, turn to Psalm 1. We're reading another uh, book in the Bible. So I go to Psalm 1. You know, when I showed up at Bible College in 1970, I needed to look at the table of contents to find out uh, where the book is. Now I have to look at the table of contents to find the table of contents. <laughs> so I go to Psalm 1. I'm sure you all know this, okay? This is going to bring tears to your eyes. And if it doesn't, I'll read it again. <laughs> That's what they do in Pentecostal services, That's right? You just do. keep That's saying it do. again. and <laughs> Yikes. I just want you to know I've been there. And there's still part of me that hasn't left. So... Psalm 1, this was the nudging inside. And again, if you live a prayer-filled life, you're going to receive the nudgings that you should listen to because this is how right. intimate God is. The Word of God, yes. Here's the preeminent expression of the written Word of God, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. Right. Okay? All Scripture is God-breathed. But then the Word of God also comes in deeply personal ways in the nudges of the heart. Now, of course, that gets you into all the other nudges too, and you got to discern between the nudge and the nudges, right? Right. Okay. So I'm nudged to go to Psalm 1. So I go there. And then I find these two black notations that are dated. And the first one is Sunday, February the 26th. Had lunch with the Olson family and met Graham and Patty Fletcher from Vancouver. Great visit with people of the Spirit. Now that's moving, isn't it? Like, I'm not lying, people. It's right here. <laughs> this ink is dry. I didn't write it this morning to get a better testimony. <laughs> okay? Then on the other page, which is the end of the book of Job, I have this, uh, a notation, Friday, May 8, 2015, when I received a prophetic word from a woman who was taking my dreams class at Tyndale Seminary, and she came up to me at the beginning of the last day of that course on a Friday morning, and she gave me what in my story is called the Magnolia Prophecy mm. that has put me on the Magnolia Trail for the last seven years. You see, that's significant to me because I grew up in the Canadian Shield. If you travel the Ottawa Valley, uh, it's the land of the great pine tree. You couldn't think of two trees that were more different from each other than magnolias and pine trees. Anyhow, that's got a whole story. But isn't that interesting? The nudging took me to Psalm 1. The notation here is from, golly, that's 2017. Mm -hmm. Where are the years going, Bill? Five right. years. Yeah. Five years. 
this lovely lunch with the Olson family, and then across the page, uh, this very true prophetic word that was spoken to me at the, be at, at the beginning of the last day of my dreams course. I teach a course on dreams. It's called Messages from Heaven, Musings of the Soul, and Moanings of the Stomach. <laughs> I think one of the reasons God put me in schools, let's talk about crises. I've been in crises all my life, but you know the Chinese character for, for crisis, it has two themes in it. One, imminent danger. Two, opportunity for new beginnings. That's the story of my life. Mm. I hardly got into a new beginning that didn't start with feeling of imminent danger. Mm. Yeah. There are, you know, there are no soft advances. There are no soft, significant advances in my life. Mm -hmm. And you don't know the half of it. Some of it I won't even speak about in public. Right. Uh, because it would implicate too many other people. But, um, yeah. Um, what else, Bill? You have to help me to the next paragraph here. Well, tell, tell us how you hear the voice of God. Oh, how do I hear the voice? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That. Yeah. First of all, here's the best way to live your life of following Jesus. If you can put these three things together, this I think you get from the book of Acts, the early chapters. Um, if you have a deep belief in the inspired word of God, I'm talking about the scriptures. If you combine that which are with a rich experience of the spirit of God, that's all about the Holy Spirit. And if you can put that together in the context of a spirit-filled church, personally, I think that's as good as it gets on this earth. Right. And even there, it won't take out all the difficulties in your life. However, it will help you to live as well as God intends and enables us to live on this earth. Okay, so the word of, back to the Word of God. Let's do a brief course here in, a, in, a, in about a minute on the history of the Word of God. It starts in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his craft, craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. So you can look at nature and see the Word of God, but that's not enough. It's not sufficient. You can look at nature and be led in very different directions as to who put that there or how did that get there. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's not enough. So in addition to that, we need the inspired... Oh, then we need the Word becoming flesh. That's the incarnation. That's Jesus. Right. That's good. But what are we going to say about Jesus if we don't have the Scriptures? Not much, mm -hmm. right? We weren't there. So then we need the inspired written Word of God. So we have the Word of God in creation, right? Then we have the personal Word of God in the incarnation. And then we come to the Scriptures. You know, there's a, I, I don't know how many of you have had children that have gone through university or colleges of this, that, or the other thing and taken some courses in religious studies. Any of you have that? Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of distressing things have gone on in the hearts and minds of young people who have studied religious studies in public institutions. You know, they study the Bible. They give you a big dose of the higher criticism of the Bible that leads you to an equally big dose of a lower appreciation of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Friends, I'm not on that side. I'm an educated right. person. I'm a PhD person. Uh, I'm glad for it. I needed it to teach, but I do not want to, to teach anything that leads people to a lower appreciation of the inspired Very good. Very good. nature of Holy Scripture. Very good. 
I feel the need to make some very strong statements these days uh, because I'm such a weak, subtle, docile person. <laughs> no. It's because there are some very strong statements coming from other directions that need to be countered. Right. That's one of the reasons I took my students traveling all over the world, so that they wouldn't hear somebody stand, uh, say in a TV documentary or somewhere, well, if you went to Egypt, uh, you'd see things this way. Well, sir, I've been to Egypt maybe six times. Maybe you can still see it my way if you go to Egypt. You know what I mean? I'm really opposed to one-upmanship. Mm -hmm. So I've spent my whole vocation trying to level the table. Anyhow, because there are lives at stake. And you know that when you're a teacher. Okay, back to the course. So we got the word of God in creation. We got the word of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Then we got the word of God in the written scriptures. Is that enough? Well, maybe. But there's more. The word of God also comes to us through dreams and visions. Also comes through us through uh, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So, for example, when a word of wisdom is spoken, when a word of knowledge is spoken, when a prophetic utterance is spoken, when an, a dream... Uh, certain kinds of dreams, not all dreams, but certain dreams, the Word of God can come uh, through all of those forms, but they don't displace the prior manifestations of the Word of God, which are really the canon, the measuring stick. You know, dreams are very slippery. God speaks in dreams, but the Scripture also warns against being deceived through dreams. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge. When Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, unto God the things that are God's, that, to me, is a word of wisdom. Right. That comes from the spirit world through the spirit-filled Christ. And when I have prophetic utterance, listen, I just sent off a page-long prophetic utterance to a pastor in this city. It was spoken at Ambrose University in 2011 by a pastor of the Christian Missionary Alliance, now deceased, who had a prophetic anointing, anointing upon him. And in a Q&R session after the lecture, this was an American professor came for a guest lectureship, he stood up. And he spoke this page-long prophecy, and we have the written text of that. I just sent that to a Baptist pastor in town who happens to know that, that guest lecturer. I believe in the prophetic word. Right. The New Testament says, despise not prophetic utterances. Right. Right. But discern all things. You see, you, you move into that realm, and things can get pretty murky and misty and um, a bit illusory. You know, I have to tell you, friends, opening up to the manifestations of the Holy Spirit didn't make my life safer. It actually made it a little more messy, but a little more adventurous at the same time. <laughs> There's no doctrine of spirit-filled dullness in the New Testament. <laughs> However, there is the need for discernment when you move into the realm of the Spirit. Right. So, and this is another big issue I have. In our culture, you know, many people don't believe in the imminence of the spiritual world, but I do. I think if you're going to summarize the spirituality in the book of Acts, we go back to these four big, you know, the best men at my wedding here. Um, <clears throat> the spirituality of the book of Acts is supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. Mm. And that's the way, personally, I try to live. You know, I don't get out of my bed every morning. Oh, God, when's the next prophecy coming? No, read your Bible, Charles, and first of all, wake up when you're reading it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I've, been, I've, been in I've been in many different traditions of Christianity. Um, it, it's not for me to judge them, but I do observe them. So, for example, you have people that are very word-thick and spirit-thin. Then you've got people that are very spirit-thick and word-thin. But we need the spirit-inspired word along with the word-guided spirit. 
Right. You know, like it has to come together. One of the prices we pay in the Protestant world uh, is that we have really carved up the church. And with the carving up the church has gone along the carving up of truth and the building of identities around select bodies of truth. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Or do I need to dismiss no. the class? No, it's good. It's yeah. good. Yeah. With, with the carving, I, I can't fix these problems. You know, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not on a crusade against denominations or anything like that. But I observe the problem. When you carve up the church, as we have done, you also carve up the truth. Right. And then a lot of people who never study anything on themselves and for themselves, and they just kind of take the pre-digested version that's handed out by whoever they're following, whether they're online, offline, or out of line, doesn't matter. Um, they just take that that was carved up for, for them by someone else and say, oh, this is the truth. This is God. This is God's wonderful plan for my life. When in actuality, well, it's really only about a third of it. But you can live off the third, and you'll die with the third if you didn't bother to go beyond the third. You follow me? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, in my life, I've had a journey. My journey in the spirit has been a journey in the church. I believe in the church. Right. The Holy Catholic Church. Uh, where do we go after that? How many churches are there in Calgary, do you think? Just when God looks at the church, what do you think he thinks of all these churches? Is there, do we really have all these many churches, or do we just have one church with all these rather large house groups? <laughs> if you take the buildings all away, what do we got? The body of Christ? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and some parts of the body, maybe they're a little heretical. Maybe the only thing that kept them being called a church is that they had the steeple and the cross and the organ. Because once you take that away, there wasn't much evidence that they were Orthodox Christians. Uh, Gwen and I have been reading through the book of Revelation. Revelation of whom? Revelation of Jesus Christ. The best example of the prophetic gift in Mayan estimation in the New Testament are the five messages that were sent to the, pardon me, I read the same Bible, I just have a poor memory, the seven messages, the seven prophetic messages that were sent to seven specific churches in Asia Minor. The ruins of those cities are still to be seen on a seven churches tour of Turkey. Those are, that's prophecy at its best, the prophetic word. So, um, I just had a prophecy uh, spoken over me. Do you mind me speaking this personally? No, go ahead. I came to you. I'm, I'm a real Charles underneath whoever you think I am. I'm just Charles the Pilgrim. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Um, I'm an accidentally educated person. Um, so a year ago, last, uh, listen, my contract at Ambrose ended on Pentecost Sunday. That's pretty good timing, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was May 31, 2020. And uh, on the last day of that contract, Gwen and I went to the little chapel at the end of the hallway where my office was situated, and we prayed our prayers of goodbye, and we prayed our prayers of hello. The problem is, the goodbye was clear, but we didn't know who we were greeting in the hello. So, um, just a few months before that, I was in a church in Phoenix, Arizona, by invitation of friends. And after the service was over, they had a prayer ministry, and I said, if, if there's going to be a prayer ministry, I'm going to go up and get prayed for. And... Um, you know, never refuse to be prayed for unless you have some serious misgivings about the people doing the praying. <laughs> you know, it's a fine line between the A and the E in praying, praying or praying. <laughs> Follow me? Of course you're following me. 
Okay, so, um, so I get up. There is a prayer ministry. And uh, I get up out of my chair. The service is over. I go up to be prayed for. And as I'm about to be prayed for, uh, one of the people in the prayer team says, as you were getting out of your chair, I got this word. Oh, what's the word? Refirement. I have never used that word in my life. But I was going up because I was asking, I was going to ask for ministry that I would have the strength uh, to enter into this season that most people would call retirement because I felt it was going to be rather stressful for me given the way I had lived and the way I was going to have to live. Refirement. Wow. So I'm, in, I'm not retired. I'm being refired. Okay. Mm. In my personal conversations with people, I don't tend to use the word retirement because I'm not, I haven't found a theology of retirement in either the Old or the New Testament. <laughs> but refirement, I'm all about. The problem is I'm getting refired, but I'm not sure what the boundaries of the furnace are. <laughs> Follow me on that? Mm -hmm. But I'm praying every day, Lord, what is the way that I am to walk? And actually, being here talking with you, delightful experience for me. I just love the conversation. Um, is part of the refirement. I'm, right. just, I'm out from underneath the institutional umbrella, and I'm not speaking against it. I'm just saying it was an institutional umbrella. For many, many years, I lived under that umbrella. Now I'm more out over under open skies, <laughs> and uh, I'm praying more deeply, more sincerely. It's more the real me and the real God. That's real prayer when you got the real you and the real God to the degree that you don't have the real you and you don't have the real God, you don't have the real prayer. Hmm. My best line, I think. <laughs> Forget everything else. Take that one home. <laughs> to the degree you got the real you and the real God, you got the real prayer. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit will be involved in that. So um, I'm in a season of refirement. And then the next person prayed for me. And what did she say? She says, and it's a prophecy too. I take both of these words as prophecies. You will not regret anything that you have left behind. Wow. That's amazing. So that's, his, that's reason. That's a year ago, uh, last May 31st, a uh, year ago last March, actually, preparing for my, quote, retirement, refirement. Uh, and I'm 70, so I know I'm, uh, there's a much longer strip of the road behind me than ahead of me, but I'm not morbid about dying. But Psalm 91, teach me to number my days that I might apply my heart unto wisdom. Right. So... I'm asking the Lord, Gwen and I are doing a lot of reading of wisdom literature in the scriptures, and uh, we want our lives to be filled and overflowing with wisdom, both for ourselves, for other people that we relate to, you know, to, we want to live wise lives. Because, you know what, <clears throat> I'm just looking at the age category here. Um, this is for, if you regard yourself in your senior years, this is the way I think we should be living. We should be living in a way that's good for the present, but we should be living also in a way that sets a lot of things in motion that will not blossom while we're here. Mm. Okay? So we really do have uh, a duty and a responsibility of love to the generations that are coming. We try to have our small grandchildren with us once a week. You know, we're not going to see them for most of their lives. Maybe they'll remember us if we weren't too dull. But... <laughs> We're, we, we need to set in things in motion in them, even when they don't realize we're doing it. So, this, you know, oh, golly. My heart is really full, you know, to be full of the Holy Spirit. That phrase happens so often in the book of Acts, full right. of the Holy Spirit. Right. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? To be taken beyond yourself at the very least. 
Pentecostals always said, classical Pentecostals, that the initial physical evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is tongue speaking. So the people in the church that didn't like that said, no, I'm not going to be a Pentecostal, and I'm going to make sure it, I'm not going to speak in tongues. And then I'd come along to these people, really, come on, people, let's get over the politics of all of this. Do you really want to say you don't want something that God gives to people for some obvious benefit? Come on, you need to do better than that. <laughs> yes. I am not going to be a spirit-filled person if it looks like that. <laughs> so then be a spirit-empty one, because we know what that looks like. There's lots of them around. <laughs> Degrees of emptiness. So you get, and then you get the people who don't want to be called empty, and at the same time, they don't want the biblical version of fullness either. So you come out like this. They try to promote a doctrine of fullness that looks like emptiness and get the rest of the people to believe that. Well, if you keep your Bible closed, you can be deceived. No, I never got out of my four friends in the book of Acts. They kept telling me what spirit-filled Christianity looks like. Right. And actually, it's just what Charles needed because he was on his way out of the church, completely out of the church. He hated the church. It was an old, dying German Methodist tradition. It sizzled in the fires of revival, but it fizzled a couple of centuries after. Hmm. So recently, Gwen and I have been thinking about the sizzle and the fizzle in our heritage denomination. How did that happen? How did it come to pass? Why did the sizzle come, and then why did the fizzle come? You know, I've met classic Pentecostals, really. They're fizzled, too. Right. Yeah. They can call themselves classic. That's the best thing they got going for, <laughs> for them, really. Because apart from that, they're not very Pentecostal. Right, right. They're more classic than Pentecostal. You don't mind a good joke, do you, that's, Bill? Here. I know that that's true. Listen. No, you know, this is so candid. We should have done this in your living room. <laughs> uh, we've, we've run out of time, and I know that... How much time do you think you have, Bill? How do you know you run out? <laughs> I know what you're saying. We agreed to 40 minutes. Um, but I want, one of the things that my kids have appreciated is some of the places that you've taken them, some of the people that you've introduced them to. Uh, and those people have spoken life into them and spoken direction into them. And uh, so as we're beginning this Empower Month of emphasis on the Holy Spirit leading us in every area, of our lives. I want you to pray over our church. I want you to pray that there'd be more sizzle than fizzle. Yeah, yeah. I want you to pray that there would be all of those things that you've just been talking about. Yeah, I got one last comment about the world and travel and everything else. Do I, think that. I want to tie that to the Holy Spirit. When I was a boy, and I come from a tired old lumber town, and uh, there was no excess wealth in my family. Um, but I had a boyhood a boyhood love of travel. And as I got older and into my, quote, professional years, I wanted to go around the world, which I did. Um, you know, Acts 1.8, uh, when you become my witnesses, you'll be my witnesses to the world, right? The, world. Uh, the Holy Spirit goes global. Right. Goes global. So my love of travel, and then I took my students to explore the ancient traditions, Christian traditions of the world, to see what we could learn from them. We went anywhere and everywhere. It was wonderful. I just feel that it was God taking the boy of a little, uh, the little dream, the, the big dream of a little boy, and right. as that boy grew up, he just blessed him. But then he also had a Methodist father, now dead almost 40 years, who prayed twice a day. You could set your clock by my father's prayers. He was so punctual, morning and evening prayers. He was a little nervous about the Holy Spirit because 
Methodists, you can have a heart strangely warm, but if it overheats, you got to find a Pentecostal church. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that boy grew up. That little Charlie became Charles. That global vision never left. And I've seen a lot of the world, met a lot of people, but it's all by the grace of God. But God put the dream, and then right. he added the steam. Right. So uh, I, I'm actually talking to you in the spirit of prayer because, you know, a real prayer is a triangulated conversation when you're with people. It's me talking to you in the presence of him who's listening to us, and some of the things I've been saying to you, I've been saying them in a prayerful way. I should have been speaking to you with my head kind of tipped up because I see it as a triangulated conversation, as I do with, with um, many of the people with whom I speak. Um, I do spiritual direction. That's another whole course, but in a half an hour, this is the way I would delegate it with people. So we've got a half an hour. We have a triangulated light, you know, with a little gooseneck on it. So for about 20 minutes, the person says to me everything they want to say. I just listen. Then for five minutes, I say to them what I want to say to them in response to what they said. And then the last five minutes, we just pray together. The prayer is being shaped by what has been said. Fair right. enough? That's real praying. The, conversa the conversation is shaping the conversation. The real you and the real prayer with the real God. See where that takes us, right? So, Holy Father, we're here. Mm. You're here. You've been here. Maybe we sense you are especially here. Um, you've heard the conversation. You've heard that which has been spoken. You've also heard that which was spoken but not spoken publicly. We've had a lot of conversations going on here in this room. Um, as this church is um, entering uh, a season of intentional focus on the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is the divine spirit, it's the spirit of Jesus, what do I want? I, I, well, Father, what I want is a fresh visitation for all yes, of us. Yes, yes, Lord. And yes, Lord. Take us. Yes, we Lord. We see that our, our, our country is seething in discontent. We know many troubled, broken people who have no hope. We have challenges in our own life that are not going away. And we only have you. Come, Holy Spirit. Yes, yes. Come, Holy Spirit. Take us where we haven't gone before. Help us to see what we haven't seen before. Help us to hear what we haven't Jesus. heard before. Help us yes. to do what we haven't done before. Mm. All for your glory and for the well-being of humanity. All those people that are in our lives in so many different yes, ways. Yes, yes. Some of them family relationships. Some of them friends. Some of them neighbors. Some of people we just pass on the street. People we work with. People we're online with. Oh, Lord God. Intensify the presence, the divine yes. presence. Yes, Lord. Because that's why you gave the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes. To intensify the sense of the divine presence on the earth. So um, I just want to say, uh, I'm speaking both up and down here. I'm speaking to you and I'm speaking to the Lord. Thank you for such an enjoyable morning. Mm. Thank, Thank you for the spirit of liberty, because where the spirit of the Lord is, there There's is liberty. liberty. Yes.